Infinite Horrors Podcast. I would absolutely be burned at the stake if I went back in time. If you're a ghost, would you really stick around? If I were a ghost, I'd go to the beach. Hello, everyone. Hello, Sam. It is such a pleasure to be here and talking about horror. I'm Maya. I am a graduate student studying paleoclimate, so I look at climate through geologic time, and I specify in high-latitude climates, and that's the Arctic in my case. And I really enjoy horror, as is evident by my presence here. I have always been a fan of horror, as long as I can remember. It's a very prevalent part of my life. And I feel like a lot of us are. So what about you, Sam? <laughs> I'm Sam. I am living in Los Angeles, working entertainment. Horror has been a lifelong love for me as well. It is something I want to be involved in, in the world of at least the fiction making side of it. I uh, was drawn to this podcast through their sister publication, Infinite Worlds. They posted that they're going to be launching a publication, Infinite Horrors, and launch a podcast with it. And if you think you'd be good, at being a horror podcast host, just throw your hat in the ring. And I'm typically a shut-in myself, but I figured an opportunity <laughs> to gush over this passion of mine would be good. So recorded my, what would you call that, application, sent it in, and here we are. Now I'm lucky enough to be talking about horror with you, which is a dream, truly. I'm going to take that as a personal compliment. And Oh, yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's been... Lovely to get the opportunity to engage with a community that we're already so entrenched in and have the platform to talk about our favorite horror in all of its forms. Because I know we both really share a love of expanding outside of your typical frame of mind of just horror movies. And we both really love books and plays and operas and music and art. So we both have a very holistic sense of what it means to engage with horror. And I think that's something that really brings us together and how we view our intake of horror media. So what got you into horror? Can you dive back in your mind and assess what grabbed you about the genre? Well, fittingly, considering sci-fi and horror are very married concepts, X-Files episodes, specifically right. Eugene Victor Toomes, who haunts my nightmares, and the human parasite monster in the sewers. And then going beyond that, the other TV horror that I'd be allowed to watch in the surreal aspect of that with David Lynch's Twin Peaks. But more importantly, growing up in New York City, we had access to free broadcasts from the Met and other ballets and stuff on PBS. And those all tend to have very dark themes, and specifically the Christian horror of being damned to hell that you see with Faust and Don Giovanni. And as a kid, I really enjoyed watching Don Giovanni get dragged to hell, and then a few <laughs> days later would pretend that my best friend was dead in my closet and that I was poking the body with a stick, and that was going to also drag me to hell very dramatically. And my mother thought there was something wrong with me. I don't think she fully grasped the concepts, but you know, it's okay. She never liked horror. <laughs> what about you? Oh, no. Did you have any <laughs> books or other media that really got you into it as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. My gateway into horror was the Alvin Schwartz Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series 
and the artwork that goes with it. I know recently they had to change the artwork. I think a bunch of moms got mad. Did they? And they did. A bunch of moms got mad and said that the artwork included in that was, you know, a bit intense for children. That's which, the whole point. Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, there is something about spiders exploding out of a woman's face that can, you know, I mean, it changed me. <laughs> hey, just because it sticks with us doesn't mean it's bad. It's good stuff. But they went ahead and replaced the artwork with whoever did the art for the Lemony Snicket books. Huh. Do you remember those? Like the Yeah, the series of unfortunate events. Yes. But anyway, getting back, those Alvin Schwartz books were big for me. The Goosebumps, obviously. In the television sphere, I was always very into Are You Afraid of the Dark? Courage the Cowardly Dog absolutely has some, has some <laughs> Oh, Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. All the body horror. Exactly. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of weird, freaky shit that, you know, I was like, I like this. This is good. I'll Cartoon violence is a gateway for us, I guess, <laughs> you know? Nobody thinks about it. Yeah. But I bet you also watched Looney Tunes growing up. Oh, so. sure. Oh, sure. Here we are. but yeah so that was it and then uh starred stephen king at a fairly early age and really my entry into horror was through books you know i was relatively unsupervised as a child being the youngest kid i don't know if do you have siblings i don't i'm an only child child oh all the attention well my point (laughs) i was the youngest of four so at that point my parents were pretty kaput with the supervision element of child rearing. So I remember one of my earliest memories was sitting in front of the TV, taking a sick day from school and seeing child's play when I was like seven. Oh, eight. lovely. Yeah, it was yeah. good. It was good. I was sick. <laughs> yeah, it was chicken noodle soup for the soul. A little. But well. just a side note, Brad Dorif is one of my favorite evil character actors. I think he's fantastic. I also originally saw him in X-Files, so. Oh, very cool. (laughs) Little jaw on the dots here. Very nice. So how do you bring your knowledge of science into your horror life? How does your vocation and your passion for horror, where do they intersect? Well, first of all, I think it'll be very apparent when we get into our first episode here, because a lot of horror is inherently tied to science and, you know, that evolution from spirituality to scientific reasoning, because it's weird. It's weird to say, hey, something we could explain by just saying God did it is now something we have to explain by looking at microbial life forms and cells and how they change. It's weird. It's very strange. I would absolutely be burned at the stake if I went back in time and said, hey, you know those tiny things in the ocean that you can't see with your eyes? Well, they die, and then I can use their dead bodies to divine the past climate of (laughs) what was happening in (laughs) geologic timescales. And we're talking millions of years. And then I would be very understanding if somebody looked at me and said, oh, you're a witch. We should burn you at the stake. I go, yes, that's totally fair. I fully understand. Point the way. But, you know, in a in a more real sense, I think climate is a very horrifying thing to get into. Just being in the midst of a crisis that you grow up with and has been ongoing for decades and just the lack of empathy around trying to understand others' positions and, you know, how indigenous and black communities have been sidelined and get the disproportionate brunt of the effects of what we see happening, even though it's primarily the work of white Western nations and it 
affects everyone else. And we only really see conversations around how it affects white Westerners and the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that gets together and talks about the latest science only has recently started including indigenous peoples and the term decolonization in the way they talk about these things. And it's very telling of how we've really refused to acknowledge the harm done there. So I think that level of horror is very real to me. And I get quite torn about it whenever I have to read any predictions for the future and live in this knowledge of this impending apocalyptic sort of prediction, as well as think about the social aspects. So I try really hard to think in more of an intersectional way about hard science and social science. But, you know, I'm a student, so I'm learning. And I think that's all we can do is be active, empathic learners in this situation. But For sure. what about you? What got you into your vocation in writing horror scripts? Well, I think something that hard does really well. Genre is typically a, just a good lens for telling human stories. Science fiction and horror in particular really allow creator to really spread their wings and tell whatever kind of message or feeling they're trying to tell their listener in like a fun and quirky way. And something that horror speaks to that draws me to it is that horror, like we've discussed, really deals with topics like life, death, and sex, three things that make us as humans the most uncomfortable. We constantly try and figure out solutions to what we don't know in terms of death. Where do we go after? What does death really mean? Is death final? Horror is a phenomenal genre with which to dive into that subject. Well, it's the distillation of the human experience in reality. You know, you live, you die, and in between, you're meant to reproduce. So, you know, <laughs> right. it, it, it's the universal connector that we can all understand, which is why it's such, again, a universal topic and why everyone can really connect with it. Right. And horror isn't afraid to dive into the less comfortable elements of our lives and the darker parts of our lives. I've already spoken about death at length, but grief is one of the biggest topics in horror movies. A lot of recent horror movies that you can draw grief to are The Babadook, Hereditary, The Night House, which just came out. I know that Alex Garland's new movie, Men, has to do with a woman who's recently lost her husband, and it goes off to the English countryside to process that. And grief is something that more or less every human being, I feel at some point or another, will have to encounter. And horror is a genre which approaches that subject at its face and studies how we process it. And I, I guess I'm into that dark shit. You know, I like to study my grief and my sense of loss. And the only way out is in, I guess. It makes a lot of sense because, yeah. again, it connects to death and, you know, a lot of horrors taking intangible things and making them tangible so that we can literally interact with it. It's essentially a quick therapy or several therapy sessions being brought into a medium, I guess. It's good therapy. It's kind of like <laughs> going to like a heavy metal show is good therapy. You know, it's just, it's just a good, it's a good way to exercise those thoughts and feelings that maybe you wouldn't otherwise be able to in your office 
or when you're with oh, yeah. no unfortunately i cannot get decked by a six foot five man in a mosh pit in the lab <laughs> i think that would be a health code violation we you know we have some strong bases some flammables as long as you have your gloves and your goggles on maybe yeah you know lab coats really do a mm. lot of work for us <laughs> <laughs> So I'm very excited to work with you, Sam. I love talking to you. I think our conversations on and off recording are always a pleasure. So I'm very excited. Yeah. So film and literature are kind of like the obvious go-tos for horror, but what are some other subjects that you're going to hope to bring up over the course of our show? Well, we both really love artistry in Mm -hmm. our films. So we love practical effects. Yes. Makeup artists are always not given enough credit, but when you can get the cops called on you for making a human torso look too realistic, I think that's cause for celebration. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) You know, my stepdad makes medical dummies for surgical practice. I think that's also a very cool form of practical effect making. Yeah. I love all of that. But with your background in literature and, you know, our shared love of folklore, like the King Arthur circle and all of those stories there's so much mythology and folklore to get into Uh and how that fits into horror because a lot of them are very dark we grew up with a very sensitized versions of a lot of original stories and then those stories also play into modern stories as well. We both share a love for theater. So I think a lot of that will hopefully get included at some point. So I would also add to that folklore myth element is also there's absolutely some very real life nonfiction horror, so to speak. Oh, to dive yes, into. absolutely. We were talking about Elizabeth Bathory, the Blood Countess. Like you were saying, the interconnection yes. of science and horror is that there's no shortage of real life horrors to dive into outside of the ones we make up in our own heads. We have a modern blood countess story even within like the last decade, right? There are a bunch of old people who are buying teenage blood and injecting it to make themselves feel youthful. That Did you hear about that? That is not something I've... Well... It, oh, it, that was very recent. Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you know, sure. I mean, so much. Not to get... You know, there's also... The people who think that Tom Hanks is sucking the blood of babies to stay young with adrenochrome. That's very tinfoil hat. (laughs) As much as I love conspiracy theories, I I think we're at least one step removed from putting on our tinfoil hats. 100%. <laughs> I think it's scary that people believe that more so than that. No, that's true. <laughs> that's what's scarier to me is that the modern yeah. state of communication and in the internet can provide some very horrific things. <laughs> yeah, I have not been told to kill myself more <laughs> than before I start oh, going geez. on the internet. You know, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, lack of empathy. They don't watch enough Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Horror is a very empathetic thing. You have to really understand human suffering and have experienced it to engage with it fully. That's not to say that you can't engage with it if you haven't experienced those things, but you're going to engage with it at a very superficial level if you don't at least have an understanding of empathy as it relates to human suffering. And, you know, this is observed in just how we have both seen that people who are connected with horror, whether they be writers or actors, are typically some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. In my experience, And they really do sure. seem to be very empathetic. So a question I got for you, what scares you? Oh, God. Uh, I don't know. I think I actually don't really have an answer for that, if I'm honest. 
I think a lot of things scare me. Sure. But I think it's just the concept of life is what I would focus on. Because if you're going through life with the understanding that you're filling up a space between birth and death with something that you're trying to make meaningful, you know, how can you be assured that what you're doing is worth it? How can you be sure that you're making a meaningful impact? And I think within the horror I experience with the current state of how we look at climate change and global warming, that's very prevalent to me is I would like to be impactful and studious and make positive change in that direction. And the idea that that might not happen is always very horrifying to me. Like there's a very real chance that I might have a stroke in my life. And I am horrified at the idea that that would leave me without my cognitive faculties. I'm not horrified at the idea that it would kill me. You know, it's right. it's the idea that you can't function, like you're trapped inside yourself and you can't make adequate progress to goals in your life, I guess. But what about you? On that note, losing my mind is probably the scariest thing for me. The crumbling of my my sensory abilities and being able to discern what's real and what's not. Absolutely. That is terrifying to me. I have this theory on horror that horror is the feeling you get when this sense of security and stability in your life is ripped out from under you. I think insanity is one version of that. There's always in cosmic horror, it's it's represented through, you know, you read a book that changes your perspective, or you see this cosmic God that puts your meaning as a human being in relation to this infinite universe that... How Harlan Ellison of you. <laughs> that, that, that renders you and your life as no different from a worm wiggling in the dirt. You know what I mean? That is scary to me, but... Losing my mind, I feel, captures that feeling, you know? Yeah, I have family with dementia, so yeah, I can definitely... Similarly. Unfortunately, my grandfather's losing it right now. Oh, I'm very and sorry. And that's, that's an element of that real horror you see every day, mm-hmm. that I think horror movies, particularly when it comes to things like dementia or mental illness, it does a good job of talking you through those uncomfortable feelings. Absolutely. I, there's, um, oh, I forget who wrote it. There's a short story called The Glass Eye. And it's essentially a woman trying to come to terms with the fact that she's an artist who's losing her eyes to some condition. Yeah. And she has to replace them with glass eyes. And you go through and you actually go into her mind like she's sucked into her own mind. And she has to meet with a butcher who tries to get her to accept what's going on, but it's such a horrifying process that she has to literally butcher herself and others to get to that point of understanding. And I think that's a very adequate way of understanding the mental turmoil that really comes with trying to lose a part of yourself. Sure. And I think mentally that's a little bit harder because, you know, in some cases you're not aware of it, but you still feel that, especially if you're around that person. So yeah, no, that's a very adequate horror to have in life. I think that's (laughs) definitely something we're all scared of. And I think that's very similar to how I feel. And it's out of your control. You know, all these things, like whether you lose your mind or something physical happens and you get a stroke, it's not that losing your mind isn't physical. I wish I knew more about brain science. I got a twin sister who that's what she studies for a living. 
that's very cool. Yeah. But um, all these things are out of your control. Climate change, you know, it is in our control to curb these it's, things. It's man-made. We're talking about anthropogenically exactly. forced homogenous warming. I, I feel like to the lay person, you know, someone who's told like, we'll just throw your can in the blue bin instead of the green bin, it could almost feel... Like, I, yeah, it's it's overwhelming to try to be an individual when a lot of it's caused by ma- major corporations right, that exactly. hold a lot of power over you. I'm always in the mindset that that can be partially alleviated by making small individual steps because I think Every individuals should always make an effort on top of fighting for the regulation of large corporations. But, you know, it, it's mostly because it helps keep that hope alive, that feeling of making change. So I'm very much a person who tries to reduce waste every day. Of course. But it is hard because you're stuck in a capitalist system and it feels like you're losing control and you feel like Charlton Heston trying to scream into the void. Yes. And you just want to stand there and go, it's a madhouse in here. You know, it's <laughs> it's nuts. It's control. Control is a very human feeling to want to have. Mm-hmm. And if you lose control, that's terrifying. I am a control freak because I have a lot of anxieties and I have personally had a lot of trauma that has caused me to lose a lot of control. And parts of the repercussions of this trauma include hallucinations. And those are very horrifying, (laughs) you know, to see somebody who you think is about to do your your harm and to understand cognitively that it's not real, that you can you know, scientifically say, hey, I know I'm hallucinating, but still feel the emotional impact is ridiculous and horrifying. It's almost like you're watching your own horror movie, you know? It's a very disassociative experience where what's happening in front of you is this terrible thing, but you yourself, the viewer in your own mind, knows that this can't be real, but you somehow It's why I didn't miss movies when I was in lockdown, you know? <laughs> But actually, it's funny you say that because I also have a form of dissociation called dissociative realism where it feels like your consciousness is pulled out of your body and you view yourself like a third person video game character. And I always describe it as like very Neo getting pulled out of the matrix where like you understand the reality that you were just living in your body is false and that you've reached this new sense of enlightenment and your consciousness is now in another world and then eventually you get shoved back into your body and all of those feelings go away but you feel like you're living in two worlds it's very interesting it's a lot of fun to wow witness yourself when you are used to it it was horrifying the first few times but i think it's a very interesting phenomenon and you know again a lot of these psychological things play back into horror like i have a lot of friends who believe in ghosts i don't I'm not allowed in a lot of ghost tours because I scientifically explain all the things they say in very simple terms because I can't stand it. Like I'll go to go see like a really cool historical monument and then they'll be like, oh, this ball is rolling across the floor. And it's like, because it's at a five degree incline because it's an old building. And then they'd be like, we hate you. You're not allowed here. And I'm like, well, stop lying to people. It's perfect that you're the skeptic. I, I, you know, we always need a skeptic in a horror show. And now the goal of this whole show maybe will be to turn you around. Maybe you'll start If Shane Madej can't be turned around, I can't be turned around. Like I I really enjoy watching those terrible ghost shows with my friends who believe because they're like, 
Yeah, we'll explain that, Maya, and I'll just go and make a habit of explaining all these things scientifically because it's a lot of fun. Like, oh, you have a magnetic field being read? Maybe it's because you're standing next to a basaltic dike, which is some very magnetic (laughs) chunk of rock that has its own magnetic field and you can't go near it with a compass because it'll attract your compass needle, you know? What about the chili in the room business? Like, oh, it just got a little cold here. What? Wind and air moves through homes? (laughs) Wild. You're standing above a gap in the basement flooring? What? (laughs) Nuts. (laughs) But no, I, I love that people constantly tell me that they experience ghost sightings after they experience grief. Because I think that's a very understandable psychological phenomenon to not want to let go of somebody you've loved and to want to understand anything as their presence. And just like there have been psychological studies that say when you're in a dark room or an unfamiliar place, your body is going to be and your brain is going to be a little scared and they're going to want to fill in the amorphous qualities there to provide a context that you're more comfortable with. And, you know, that includes seeing people like shadow people because your brain isn't comfortable with just darkness. It wants to make it into something and explain the fear that you're experiencing of this environment. So things like that, you know, I think there's a lot to be had with your point on sort of nonfiction horror that could be really fun. And if we argue over ghosts, even better. I love arguing over ghosts. One of these days, I will explain physics to Zach Bagans. I'd say I'm ghost agnostic. I don't know ghost if I'm agnostic. a believer. But it's, you know, I, I don't know. I think I'm the kind of person that says I don't have all the answers. So I wouldn't really say either way. I'd love to meet one one day. Although my biggest thing is like, if you're a ghost, would you really stick around and haunt? I, I don't know. If I were a ghost... I'd go to the beach or I'd go places I haven't <laughs> been before. Allegedly, I can float. So you could just. You know, Charlie Day was. I don't know if you listen to the Always Sunny podcast that they've been putting out lately. Because no, I, I, I like I the show. And yeah, I think it's I fun. That. And on their most recent one, they talked about like, what is a ghost and why don't we see ghosts for everything? Like, you kill a fly and then an hour later, a fly ghost comes in and goes, hey, I wasn't ready to die yet. <laughs> like, I thought that was hilarious. How crowded, how crowded the ghost world must be with oh, all those my people. God. And to Charlie Day's point, all those little animals and little... little if you I- believe in reincarnation. Oh, oh well. <laughs> I'm half Indian, so like reincarnation was brought up a few times like my family isn't religious but my grandma used to joke that if I did something bad I'd come back as a rock you know and jokes on her because I'm a geologist I'd love that (laughs) or like the Jungian idea of the conscious how we're all like interconnected yeah our bodies are houses and our minds are the subterranean interconnected basements that are connected by pipes so this is Joseph Campbell for all you anyone who's up you know, we all have shared fears of snakes, despite <laughs> thousands of years of separation. We are and, all uh, Indiana Jones. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, you know, matter can't be destroyed, only transformed, right? So sure. I, there you go. That's one for you. And also the fact that mathematically we're in the third dimension and that would suggest that there's an infinite number of dimensions and you can't interact with anything higher than you, only anything lower than you. So potentially there are things in other dimensions we can't perceive that are interacting with our own. Not that I believe that there's any evidence for that, but mathematically it's plausible. So there you go. Two points for you. A mercy that we can't (laughs) correlate all the world's contents. That would be a scary thing. 
This is going to be a great podcast. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Infinite Horrors Magazine is a full-color, ad-free print magazine from the creators of Infinite Worlds. You can get your signed and hand-numbered direct edition copy of Infinite Horrors Number 1 plus Infinite Horrors merch at infinitehorrorsmagazine.com. Be sure to check out the Infinite Worlds podcast, as well as the Infinite Worlds magazines. Find us on social media at Infinite Horrors Magazine or Infinite Worlds Magazine. Also, feel free to visit infinitehorrorsmagazine.com or infiniteworldsmagazine.com. And you can follow me online on Instagram at heavy underscore metal underscore fruit. And you can follow me on Instagram at horrorsamw. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.